0: Hello and welcome to Very Bad Words, the podcast about swearing and taboo language. I'm your host, Matt Fiddler. And this is former coworker from WNYC Public Radio, where we both used to work.
1: Uh, my name's Stephanie Billman, and um currently the assistant producer for Imaginary Worlds.
0: Imaginary Worlds is a podcast about all things sci-fi and fantasy. Now, Stephanie also helped me produce an episode several months ago on what we call the FA word. And like that show, I'm also going to self-censor on this one. If I've learned anything from doing this show, it's that words have power. The power to change thoughts and attitudes and the power to cause pain.
1: Terminology, man. Like words, words have power. And uh, people don't realize that.
0: What we're talking about is the N-word. And while a couple of the guests on this episode do use the actual word when I interviewed them, I'm choosing not to. And if you don't get that, please forgive me for now. And by the end of the episode, I hope you'll understand why I'm doing this.
1: It's such a fraught word. Um, the very first time I heard it was at a KKK rally or, or parade that was going uh, down the street um, in my friend's neighborhood.
0: And as an African-American living in Georgia, this first encounter with this kind of blatant racism was something she'll never forget.
1: First of all, let me back up. So, we moved around a lot because my dad was in the military. And so, I lived on military bases until I was about five or six. And a military base is a completely different, or at least it was then, a completely different environment than a living off base. So, coming from that, and moving from Germany to a small town in Georgia or a smallish town in Georgia, it was a huge culture shock. And so I hadn't really had that much, like, direct racism pointed at me until we moved to a – or I guess maybe I shouldn't say the name of the, the city <laughs> – And. The first time I saw the word, or someone actually said the word, in my direction, it was a hate group that was violent and was known for uh, very violent acts. So people, hate groups, use it as a way to oppress uh, other people and, and, and have used it during very violent acts that they are committing against other people. So there are gonna be a lot of people who who to this day still see this as a very violent word. And it's really hard for me in particular to separate that out.
0: On this episode of Very Bad Words, we're gonna listen to some stories and talk to some experts in an attempt to make sense of the N-word. So, man, this has been a difficult episode to produce and not in the normal way that a show can be hard. I've written and then erased so many feelings and questions and opinions I have on this word. And ultimately, my opinions are beside the point. I'm going to try to leave the talking to my guests as much as possible, starting with my first guest, who we couldn't have done this episode without because of his unique area of study.
2: Uh, My name is Dr. Neil Lester. I'm a professor of English at Arizona State University, uh, where I teach African-American literature and culture, and I am one of the first uh, to create a course on the N-word, so it's been part of my research for the last several years.
0: Yes, he teaches a class on the N-word, but it's about more than just the word.
2: This notion that the word is much bigger than the six letters that comprise it. And that was eye-opening to me because, again, I started from a place of, I certainly knew about the word. It's it's not a word that I have used or continue to use, but I recognized that there were so many dynamics in that that I had not thought about until I delved into it along with my students. So everything from performance, identity, the ways in which the word is not like any other word, and the ways in which we think that we can reclaim something that we haven't had. So there is a, a political edge in it. But what I like to say is that this is not a course that teaches people to say the word. It's not a course that even tells people whether they should or should not say it. What I try to do in the course is to provide information and say, now that you have this information, you determine how you feel about the word.
0: But before we go into stories helping you determine how you feel about the word, let's go into the facts of this word, including its origins.
2: Origins can be contested. What I'll say is you know, Kendrick Lamar has one theory about the word, and he says it comes from N-E-G-U-S, which connects with kings and queens of Africa. I know Tupac also had an acronym Mm -hmm. for the word that was a way of reclaiming the word as something that was positive.
3: I stopped using the N-word so much in my raps. This is Malik
0: Crumpler. He's a friend of mine and of the show. He's a wordist, a poet, and a rapper. And he heard that same acronym from Tupac that was supposed to reclaim the word.
3: His, his meant never ignorant getting goals accomplished. That's cute. He's also 19 when he comes up with that ignorant shit. That's the thing with these rappers. Like Everyone's talking about them like they were wise, sages. These dudes were between the age of 18 and 26 when they were murdered. Are we really going to base truth and philosophical conjectures on what a 23-year-old or 19-year-old said? So anyway, he tries to make a positive spin on it. Fine. So when the police are about to kill you and they call you nigga or when anyone is about to kill somebody and they call them that term, you think they say, I'm going to kill you because you're never ignorant getting goals accomplished? Come on, man.
0: We'll get back to more Malik a little later in the show, but I want to return to Neil Lester for him to talk about what his research has come up with regarding the origins
2: of this powerful word. The research that I've done points out that the word was probably first used in the encounter between Spanish and Portuguese, the encounter with Africans, and that it really started off as a neutral descriptor, negro, and that was probably in the 1500s. And it didn't take long from, say, 1574 to 1619 for that word that was just a descriptor to take on value. And that value became negative.
0: The word was about the contrast, the difference between black and white.
2: And anything that was black became the opposite of white. And so I say that in the context of, you know, the experiment that Malcolm X did when he looked in a dictionary and looked at all the things that were associated with Black, both connotatively and denotatively, that's what Black came to represent. Uncivilized, um, uneducatable, uh, ugly, unattractive. We still see that reflected in language today. Black as disparaging, whether it's Black ball, Black list, Black market, Black magic, um, Black sheep, Black male versus all those things that tend to be the opposite when we talk about telling little white lies. So that the negativity, it, you know, when we describe something, that description is often a way of valuing it or devaluing it. And it was not until you know, even the Merriam-Webster dictionary described that word as synonymous with black person.
4: I mean, just think of pretty much any negative attitude, I mean, a belief that people have had in this country about African-Americans. And, I mean, early on, I mean, that word started becoming a shorthand way of of saying it. The the word itself, I think you could probably make an argument that, you know, that there was a sort of corruption of the word, you know, in the South with a mispronunciation of Negro. But whatever its origins, by, by the early 1800s, it, it was, uh, you know a nasty slur, and not just a slur, as I'm suggesting, but a slur which came with certain ideas about who Black people were.
0: This is David Pilgrim of Ferris State University. He's a public speaker and one of the country's leading experts on multiculturalism, diversity, and race relations.
4: I am also the founder and director of the Jim Crow Museum and the author of Watermelons, Nooses, and Straight Razors, Stories from the Jim Crow Museum, and uh, and there are some really powerful stories in it, including, by the way, uh, we have a chapter on the so-called N word. So, chapter eight in the new book is actually called "Black People and Niggers," and it starts off with uh, a, a you know the famous or infamous rant by Chris Rock that he did while hosting an HBO special called "Bring Bring the Pain." And I don't know if you remember or your listeners remember it, but in there he he talked about what he perceived to be the difference between Black people and niggas. And a lot of this chapter then deals with this idea that uh, African-Americans and European-Americans, they may disagree about what is a nigga, but there is some agreement that, that that's a real thing and One of the reasons I wrote the chapter was to hopefully undermine that. The other, some other points I tried to make was that um, that word is really a shorthanded way of eliciting almost all anti-black caricatures. And so it's a shorthand way of calling a black person a tom, a coon, a sambo, a pickaninny, a mammy, you know, any of the sort of traditional, you know, negative caricatures of African-American people.
0: And all those negative caricatures are in actual objects created and sold in this country during the time of Jim Crow. And those objects are now on display at the Jim Crow Museum in Big Rapids, Michigan, on the campus of Ferris State University.
4: We have, unfortunately, many, many uh, objects. Uh, we have the so-called Jolly Nigger Banks. I think we probably have about, I don't know, 15 of those or so. Is
0: that what they were really called?
4: Yeah. Yeah. They were called the Jolly Nigger Banks. And uh, if you ever, if you remember Spike Lee's uh, movie Bamboozle, there's one in there. Um, But we we have at least 15. We actually have just a section, you know, on that word where we have, you know, nigger hair smoking tobacco. You know, we have coupons. uh, It's some of the big cans, uh, some of the original cans. It was later changed uh, to bigger hair smoking tobacco. Yeah, yeah, not so subtle. Yes. And then we have quite a bit of material from the, um, the, the so-called, you know, Ten Little Niggas, uh, including uh, we have the, the 1939 uh, novel from Agatha uh, Christie, uh, which was called Ten Little Niggas. Uh, and speaking of subtle, uh, the name was later changed to Ten Little Indians and then still later it was changed to, you know, and then there were none. Anyway, long story short, you know, that chapter is about people debating the use of the term. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but at one point the NAACP uh, tried to ban the term. And of course, one of my favorite uh, things about, or at least uh, favorite is such a weird word, but reintroducing the idea that some, some African Americans have used that term as a marker to separate themselves from, from poor black people. Uh, I don't like people forgetting that. I don't know why it's super important for me that they don't, but I, I just think it's it has
0: great consequences for people's lives. And he sees those consequences in the attitudes people have about Black people acting a certain way, or just being portrayed as acting a certain way.
4: One of the exercises that, that uh, I used to do when I would travel is I would bring a, this shirt that had... Uh, it has some African-American boys on it, uh, misbehaving. Uh, one of them's urinating in the street and, uh, it, uh, they're done as cartoons though. Uh, one of them is music playing and he's got a, you know, a joint in his mouth. And, and so I would take that shirt and, uh, you know, I'd ask people in a kind of a visual thinking strategies way, like, what is it you see when you see this shirt? And I was doing a, um, a, a workshop for, Uh, believe it or not, uh, CIA employees. Um, And, uh, you know, they started with, you know, well, we don't want to say. And I was like, well, no, just tell me what is it you see? And he says, well, you know, niggas. And I was like, why do you why does it you say that? Well, this guy's peeing in the street this guy's, you know, apparently smoking a joint. This guy maybe looking to rob somebody. I says, "Yeah, but but why isn't it that you just see a person peeing in the street? Why, why why is it that that word means person peeing in the street?" And so we have this long discussion and generally speaking, I try to when I'm doing those workshop sessions, I try to avoid preaching to people and you know, but eventually I just lost my mind and start screaming, you know, uh about, you know, the civil rights movement and were those people niggas and are all poor people like all poor black people are really niggas. They're lazy. They're good for nothing, you know, all that other stuff. And so I was having this this conversation with the group. Now here's the part that is a little bit of a kick in the pants. I would say there were probably I don't know, what, 20 or so people in that group? I think all but a couple were African Americans. And so when you ask me the question You know, is, you know, is it I I think what it represents is wrong, no matter who uses it, because what they what they said in clear ways were, you know, niggas exist. They're bad. uh, They are uh, almost inherent in their deficits. Their flaws are immutable and we're not they're not us. They may look like us, but they're not us. And and I see that, again, Chris Rock turned it into a, you know, into a little shtick. Um, Ridley turned it into an essay. But unfortunately, um, you know, there there are, you know, African-Americans and others who, you know, in their brains distinguish between, you know, African-Americans
0: and niggas. And he wants us to know that there's only one definition of the N-word. It doesn't matter what letter it ends with. And I don't buy this whole distinction between,
4: you know, nigger nigga, uh a nigga. I think I mean some of that is is a rationalization. Um but so when I'm when I'm making actually when I write, I usually write, you know, like nigger slash nigger. And because I'm the G A compared
0: to yeah, the E R, yeah. it sounds a lot less harsh.
4: It does sound less harsh, but but you know, I I I'm a polemical writer, so I'm making the point that that ultimately it's, it comes from the same place.
0: We're going to take a short break and return with more stories and interviews about the N-word.
5: So I didn't feel black and being called the N-word, like if some, if a white person especially calls you the N-word, like, oh, then you're like definitely black because they're recognizing your blackness in a very vile way.
0: Stay with us. Welcome back to Very Bad Words. I'm Matt Fiddler. Today, I'm sharing stories and interviews that I've collected over the last year on the N-word. And part of the purpose on this episode is to show that this word, while it's vile and has an unquestionably horrible roots, it also has a different effect on different people. For example, when I made my first call out to listeners asking for stories on this word, the first person I talked to was Dartley Brooks. She's a student at Smith College who was raised in Brooklyn, New York.
5: Um, hello, I'm Dardalee Brooks, I'm a rising senior at Smith College, and I'm the child of immigrant parent from Honduras. I live in a very Polish neighborhood, of Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, well, like, it used to be very Polish, but like, it's changed, but yeah. But at the time, there were still a lot of Polish people, and I was just walking somewhere, and she came out of nowhere and said, hey, nigger, go back to Harlem. This is a Polish neighborhood. i like always remember, because she took me back because she said, like, go back to Harlem. Like, wow, she knows that (laughs) she really knows her ethnic enclaves. And I found it funny. I don't think that, like, especially coming from a white person, most people, when they hear that word, coming from a white person, they don't laugh. They're, like, hurt. I mean, I don't think I can have the same emotional reaction that African-Americans who have been here for generations, the the descendants of um, enslaved Africans in North America, in the United States, I don't think I can have the same reaction because even though I definitely identify as a Black American and I know that that is what I am and that is what people perceive me as, I also know my personal history. I know that, of course, I come from enslaved people in Honduras, but I know that that word was not applied to my ancestors. We, we um, were emancipated earlier. We were able to gain more privileges faster and for those reasons, I don't think I, it has the same impact on me. It did make me feel like I was finally part of the Black American community because I had been called an Oreo by several people, like, like my cousins, cousins who had, they grew up in Black neighborhoods. I grew up in a Polish neighborhood. I didn't have much connections to um, Black American culture. Sometimes my blackness, people try to erase it um, in high school. I remember telling people, oh, my parents are from Honduras. And then immediately they would be like, oh, I thought you were black. And I'm like, yes, I am. And they're like, no, you're not black, you're Hispanic. Or like, um, you're Latina, like that you're not black. And I'm like, mm, but you thought I was black a second ago. Yes, I am. Yes, I didn't feel black. And being called the N-word, like if someone, if a white person especially calls you the N-word, like Oh, then you're like definitely black because they're recognizing your blackness in a very vile way, but they're recognizing it. So I felt like I was finally part of the community.
0: I wonder if some people, especially, you know, just anyone of color, um, not including black people, that they, they just see it as maybe just a word of this is the word of us that have been kind of victimized in the United States because of, you know, our background. And like they're just kind of taking it almost as like a generic term of, racial discrimination
5: um i think i think that is the case um with la latino like dark mestizo people from latin america cuz there are white people in latin america and <laughs> people who are like have n- native blood with white like mestizo people and s- um, same thing with like um arab americans um middle eastern americans and even like southeast Asians like indian kids and the like, pakistani kids in my school who said it it didn't even cuz I I know that they're totally disrespected by, like, white America, and that word is used towards them. So, like, it actually... I didn't didn't mind it as much when they used it. Like, there was this Syrian kid who would say it all the time. He thought he was, like, he was an aspiring rapper. I don't know. Um, But he would use it all the time. And he said, it's totally fine because I'm a sand nigger. Like, I can say it. And, like, he has a point. That is what people call him. So... The word is now um, broader. It applies to him, too. But the East Asian kids, especially like the Chinese kids, like they are definitely discriminated against by white America, but they, they're, not, they're not ever called that. That's not the word that is used to, when people think of East Asians.
0: And this is another caller, Ernie. He's Latino, raised in Los Angeles, and had a story about him and several of his Black friends from high school.
6: Yeah, no. This happened probably when I was about maybe 18 or 19. Uh, it was definitely just a little bit out of high school. And
0: while Ernie didn't use the N word often, usually just quoting lyrics or something, his black friends would.
6: So for to quote them, it, it was more like, uh, "Oh, these niggas over here treat me terrible," and they could be talking about like a uh, uh, somebody at McDonald's. You know, they they didn't they they did something wrong, and they would use that just as a generic term for anyone, and then they would use it amongst themselves somebody was was being made fun of like yannick doesn't need to stop this right now like you know we, we they would we would all say it kind of to each other I would very rarely say it I would do it more um, uh, as a song lyric kind of thing or a movie quote um, it, it just it's not a word that I generally use to begin with
0: but Ernie reached out because there was a time when he did use that word around his friends that had nothing to do with a movie quote or a song lyric he was being poked fun of and was Trying to make a retort.
6: I said something to the effect of like, Y'all niggas do that all the time. And no one batted an eye, everyone just kept going with the conversation. It was fine. And I I, you know, didn't think anything of it. But uh, later on, a friend of mine that was at that same party that with that group of people, we were we had gone to her house. So I was I think I was dropping her off or she was dropping me off or something. And she said, We were talking about those group that group of people, and I was like, Yeah, those niggas are crazy. And she stops me and she says, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with you using that word. And I, I pointed out that I had used it earlier in the night that no, she didn't say anything then. And she said, I know, I know. It's just I didn't want to say anything or make a big deal in front of the guys. But it just it makes me very uncomfortable when you use that word.
0: So Ernie said, sure thing. I understand. I won't use that word around you.
6: But the problem came later on in the conversation where I had helped her with something or given her some advice about something. And she's laughing and she's like, oh, man, Ernie, that's why you my nigga. And I had to stop her and I was like, hey, I'm not very comfortable with you using that word. And she she just looked at me shocked and said, what, what do you mean? I, I'm black. I can use that word. And I was like, that's kind of the problem for me. You're allowed to use a word because of the color of your skin, but I'm not allowed to use the, the word because of the color of my skin. It's a, you know, it's
0: not fair. And this idea of unfair seems to resonate with the number of white people I've talked to. They want to know why seemingly one group of people can use it, but they can't, especially if they aren't racist. Maybe they have black friends, listen to hip hop, whatever. Take Bill Maher on his show Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO. He made an impromptu joke calling himself a house N-word when asked if he was going to be doing some sort of physical work. Of course, he didn't say anything. got in trouble for the remark and apologized, but that wasn't enough for rapper Ice Cube. Founding member of the rap group N.W.A., who came on the show a little bit later. What
2: made you think that it was cool to say that? You know, I, I just... That's ex- one question. I just explained. It, 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 there was no thought put into it. Obviously, I was telling Dr. Dyson, comedians, they react. And it was wrong, and I apologized. And, you know, th- I, more than that, I can't do. I accept your apology,
3: but I still. <laughs> now, I know you heard it's in, the, it's in the lexicon, everybody talking, but that's our word now. That's our word now. And you can't have it back. I know they're trying to get it back. It's guy, and I'm not talking about you, yeah, Bill. I, yeah, I'm not, not talking about you, Bill, okay. but I'm talking about guys who cross the line every day because they got some black homies, they got some friends, they think it's cool. And it's not cool because when I hear my homie say it, it don't feel like venom. When I hear a white person say it, it feel like that knife stabbing me, even if they don't mean it. Here's Malik Crumpler again. He grew up in Oakland in the late 80s and 90s. Like, I started rapping when I was five years old, and I started recording albums when I was seven and selling them at school and stuff. Um, So by the time I was 12, I was serious, and like uh, other kids knew me. So when I transferred to another school, which was a dangerous school in North Oakland, when I got to the school, it was pumped because you would get a bigger audience, because in elementary school, your rap audience was just the 30 kids in your class and maybe others. So... You battled in school, in elementary school, and you would get away from the teachers and curse, right? Because everybody wanted to do their NWA raps, you know, niggas with attitude, and that was a big issue for white kids in the 80s because, like, to to sell a tape as a little kid, you needed to be vulgar as possible. You know what I'm saying? Because there had to be some controversy because otherwise why would someone listen to a shitty little kid rap? So... At that time, it was not that, like, I think little kid rappers were just starting to come out, so me and my buddies were little kids, and we had a little rap group. We tried to be kid and play, but then pop rap suddenly wasn't shit, you know? You had to be a gangster, so we started doing gangster rap, and to be a gangster, you had to say nigga and bitch and fuck and pussy and faggot and every fucking awful word you could come up with, um, so we did And then when I got to um, junior high school, new school, bigger audience, the idea was how am I gonna get this audience? So it was like, everyone battles at lunch, before school, and after school, and in between class. Battle rap was everywhere. So I was like, I'ma battle. So I went up to the gangsters at the school and was like, yo, who rap? I didn't say yo, because no one said yo in Oakland. But they told me this white dude did. His name was White John. He's a big ass white dude from East Oakland gangster as fuck he had that awful gangster energy like little kid criminal he was like 15 in the eighth grade um so i was like cool i'm gonna kill this white boy it's easy and i was on i was on some nation of islam slash gangster back then because ice cube was so then you must be so i'm battling him and i'm tearing him up whatever and then he comes back with his next verse and he is like fuck you nigga and I was like, wow, and just punched him in the throat. And then he he didn't fall. He old as fuck, so he took the little punch from a 12-year-old and we just started brawling. And so then I went home and I was like, why didn't nobody else get in the fight? That white boy just called me a nigga and none of y'all niggas got in the fight to help me whoop this cracker. They was like, that's why John. He a nigga. I was like, what? I didn't understand this, right? Cause I didn't I, I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand. Like now, looking back, I'm like, okay, white white John grew up in the projects in East Oakland. You know what I'm saying? So in that sense, in the projects in East Oakland, it makes sense that to survive as a white boy, you have to become your surroundings. And they gave him a pass. I didn't know that. So I went home and wrote the most anti-Hitler, anti-Ku Klux Klan rap in my life memorized it, went back the next day, and just destroyed him as the most racist human that ever lived. And then I got my props. And then White Boy John got demoted as a as a rapper. I don't know what happened to White Boy John, but after that moment, I was like, yo, this political rap is some serious shit, because all them street dudes was like, yeah, fuck this White Boy, blah, 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 blah. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh, and the, that's kind of crazy. Yeah.
0: So most of your friends or whatever, they were cool. They were, they cool were black, with him. Mexican. They were, they were okay with him dropping the N-word. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, because the Filipinos all said nigga in Oakland. Mexicans said nigga in Oakland. Uh, Like, gangster Chinese boys. It was kind of like a a class issue with that word that I noticed, and that's what confused me, because I only thought black people could say it. Here's Stephanie Billman again.
1: What is, like, the around, like, the 90s when... Uh, like uh, NWA and Ice Cube and and, and um, Tupac Shakur. And then they started using it and it started becoming more commonplace in gangster rap, quote unquote. And yeah, I started, I, I saw people starting to like address them, address each other as, you know, like, I don't even like saying it, but like my N-word, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, and it's kind of blends together, I'm getting old. Um there was these two, and it was two black kids, uh, two black guys in our, in, our, in our class who were banning around lyrics. And one of the, the lyrics had an N-word in it. And my teacher, uh, my history teacher, Mrs. Anderson, who's an older black woman, she, like her head like immediately pops up. And then she proceeds to give us like an impromptu history lesson about her um, grandmother and how her grandmother had to watch her best friend beaten to death by the Klan, and that word was used repeatedly as they beat that, beat them to, beat them to death, and that story kind of got a, like, those, those two kids, those two boys, when they heard that story, they, like, they were in tears, because they were just emulating these rappers that they admired, you know, and they're just like, oh, you know, whatever, just this is a lyric in the song. That's no big deal. And she's like, no, it is a big deal. And I'm going to tell you why. And when she told that story and she's like, and you know what, this can still happen. She's like, you know, the clan, as you know, is active in the city and this can still happen. And they will use that word to try to demean you. And it'll be used towards you in a way to try to demean you. Don't let some artists tell you it's fine to use this word because they're making millions of dollars off of it.
0: And can you really expect teenagers who are just trying to be cool and want to be accepted to get the nuance of language regarding race relations in America when a grown man who comments on this kind of stuff for a living, like Bill Maher, he has a hard time with it. Here's Neil Lester again on hip-hop and the use of that word in it.
2: The hip-hop that I recall, whether it was Rapper's Delight or or some of the other mainstream didn't necessarily have to use that word to convey a kind of reality about living in urban cities. So I guess what I'm saying is how more educated did one become just because that word was in there. What's interesting is what you said, because, you know, based on some of the the data that I've read, you, that that you are the demographic uh, that's mostly buying this mainstream hip hop and singing along to the songs. And those who are creating the songs know that, And, you know, so when you have, you know, white people singing the song, you know, up in the club, and then all of a sudden that person goes and posts something on social media using the word and not understanding that there's a problem there, that to me seems what the challenge is. And it's also about the responsibility of those who are putting it out there. You know, Jay-Z has this very contradictory kind of, uh, relationship with this word he allegedly stopped using the b word in his music when his daughter was born but i don't think that he recognized that his daughter could wear that word just like he might wear that word and even with that that kind of odd piece the oj piece that you know the animation it's it's a it's a very odd way because it's it's commercial and people buy it and they think it's cool You know, in fact, I do a piece on cultural appropriation where, you know, lots of folks, white people think it's cool to talk like what you hear in hip hop because it makes you cool. But then blackness gets reduced to coolness when, in fact, the violence of, of black people being shot in the street. There's nothing cool about that. There's nothing cool about being denied a job. There's nothing cool about being charged more when you go to get a bank loan or to buy a car or any of these other things that we've seen where we clearly see racial bias. So cool has never been a factor in terms of what matters in this society most. That becomes something that sells and markets in the same way that sexism and heteronormativity sell. But it doesn't make it necessarily right.
0: How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, really good. It's good. been a trip. Walk. I haven't driven through this neighborhood since high school. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I had high school friends that live just down, down Turtle Creek. Down Turtle Creek. Yeah, on another corner. Okay. This is Marcy Brown. She's a longtime friend of my mom. They were two of a three-person administrative staff at a suburban middle school when I was growing up. Marcy was the principal of the school, and now she's semi-retired.
7: And I'm an educational consultant. Um, I'm the principal and lead coach with
0: O' Brown and Consultants. I wanted to talk with Marcy about something I've never talked to her about before, which was the segregated South that she grew up in the 50s and 60s. Um,
7: I lived um, in the Jim Crow period. I was born and raised in the Jim Crow period. My grandparents uh, were sharecroppers. My great-grandparents were sharecroppers. And before that, they were slaves. As a child, uh, I went to segregated schools I would uh, pass kids who were in the bus going to the white school. And by the way, the whites and the Hispanics went to school together. Whites, Hispanics, everyone else went to school at the white school, but the African-Americans, they had their own school. That's the Jim Crow piece, because the other people weren't involved in the Jim Crow process. It was just the blacks. So when I was going to school or walking to school, I was referred to often by the white kids on the bus yelling out the N-word. Um, it did not make me feel good. And sometimes uh, my group of friends, they'd yell back at them and throw b- throw rocks at the bus and all that kind of stuff. So it was never a positive thing, a positive word that was
0: used. Um, so
7: it was that that that's my experience with that word.
0: A debate that a few friends of mine got into a little while ago is about the use of the N-word in an academic setting. So I wanted to ask Marcy, as an educator and a former principal, if she would have a problem with a teacher saying that word in the context of academia. Should that word be adamantly avoided?
7: If uh, one of my teachers, if I uh, was, I'm retired, but if I was working, I would be very offended by that if they used it in the classroom. I don't care uh, what linguists say about that. Um, That's my feelings because it it does hurt. It hurts to the core to be um, to even hear the word um, because of the way. And, you know, we've done this in America. (laughs) You know, we've done this to people. You know, uh, this word uh, might not have ever even been in existence if people hadn't been oppressed. And, and an, uh, this is an opportunity, a way to continue to keep them down. So America did this. So from my standpoint, they got to live with it. So um, I won't try to change other people's opinions about it. That's theirs. This is America. You have a right to have whatever opinion you want.
0: There's one thing that Marcy said to me that really got me thinking when we were talking, and that's, what's the reason for speaking in the first place? It's to convey a message, right?
7: The sender of the message is sending a message for whatever reason. But how the receiver receives it is the most important part. And the way they sent it may have been done with, an, with not an intent to hurt. But if the receiver received it that way, that's the way it was sent.
0: Here's Neil Lester one more time.
2: So what I'm often asked... kind of reductive way is, so are you saying that the word shouldn't be said? I said, no. Are you saying that you've never said the word? I said, no. What I am saying that if you're using this word in a historical context, then you can use the word. If you're using this as a, uh, you know, in the civil rights movement or you're in a play and you're, you know, writing about slavery and this was a language that was used, that feels authentic. But that, you know, to somehow imagine that every single way that it's being used now is some historical context is nonsense. And we've got to say more than this is a term of endearment, because I don't know what that means. And as I watch The Help and as I look, read slave narratives, masters thought of their slaves very endearingly, but they were still property. They were property that we were endeared to. <laughs>
0: That's it for this episode of Very Bad Words. I'm Matt Fiddler and I get production help from Jill Fincher. Now, big thanks for all the help, the interview, and the encouragement to take on this subject to Stephanie Billman. I know you've been really busy, but it didn't stop you from putting your heart into every moment you had with me on this. Thank you. Thank you also to my amazing guests, Neil Lester, David Pilgrim, Marcy Brown, Malik Crumpler, Dardali Brooks, and Ernie Mendoza. This is Very Bad Words. The next bad word I'm covering, well, is going to be a little more conceptual, and that word is hiatus. I'm taking a long one, starting now. I hope to do an occasional episode now and then, but honestly, the show is taking up too much of my time, and I've been paid very little for that time. Now, don't get me wrong, I love doing the show. It's been a labor of love, but it's just time to move on. Thank you to my lovely wife, Jill, who has been here supporting me from the day we sussed out this idea together on a vacation in Woodstock, New York. Thank you to the proud but few Patreon patrons of the show. You can take your pledge out or keep it in and I'll use it to make new episodes just not as often. And I'll continue to release more full-length interviews including all of the interviews from this episode which are all revealing and interesting. I have nearly 20 hours of tape for this episode alone. I'll release a lot of it and you'll love the 60-minute conversation with Malik, I promise. But whether you're giving me money or not, Thank you to all the listeners of the show. You are the reason why I do this. Thank you to everyone who's ever written me, left me a voicemail, tweeted, posted, whatever. It was an honor talking into your ears these last 13 months. I'm not leaving the podcasting or radio world, so hopefully I'll get your ears attention in the future. Thank you once again for listening to Very Bad Words.